Welcome to Elevate, the podcast where we dissect exceptional achievers who are consistently raising the bar personally and professionally to produce extraordinary results in investment real estate and ultimately in their lives. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. I'm so thankful to be sitting here with Stuart Scoble. How are you, my friend? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? Doing great. It's always fun. It's funny because we're like right down the hall from each other. But sometimes we do the calls and all these things. It's like sends me an email and he's literally right down the hall. But uh, it's and this is my old office. This is yeah, I know. But have you seen it this festive before? No, I haven't. And it actually looks a lot better than when I was here. I you know? appreciate you saying that. I wasn't going to say anything about that. But, uh, <laughs> you can pay me later. Yeah, exactly. So for the YouTube uh, watchers and, and viewers out there, we've got the Christmas decorations up. Uh, this will be coming out uh, really kind of later in 2020, which is crazy that we're embarking on 2020 uh, now. I don't know about you, but starting a new decade it's always uh it's, it's definitely inspiring for me and i'm excited to see what the future holds and uh but you know with all that said it's it's great to sit down with you and uh, it's great to introduce you to elevate nation but before i do that i want to welcome elevate nation back because it's time to take it to another level that's what i always say you know each and every single time i have this type of conversation i raise myself to another level and i know that you know, the people listening, the thousands of people that are listening are getting so much out of this show. And I want to welcome you back because our mission is to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate and beyond. And the reason why it's that way is because it's not just about the tactics. It's not just about cash flow. It's not just about, you know, what's the internal rate of return. It's about who you are as a person. It's about the relationships you build, you know, as a person. It's about your network. It's about your own understanding of your own, how your mind works, your fear, your uncertainty, you know, um, all of these things, as well as developing your health. You know, there's so many different things. And we talk about habits. We talk about, you know, we talk about so many different things. We talk about your mindset. We talk about your psychology. We talk about, you know, what you're doing on a consistent basis to raise that bar. And this is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through real estate investing and ultimately in their lives. And if you appreciate what we're doing, we would appreciate if you subscribe to the show, if you gave us a rating, a review, it certainly helps us uh, reach more people. In fact, I wanted to highlight a review that we just received as a five-star review, which we, we certainly appreciate from Bree Briscoe it says, it's an excellent list of podcast guests that provide amazing value. Great mix of personal and professional development that you don't always see in podcasts. And so uh, sometimes I get bored with just real estate talk, man. And, uh, you know, I've, I've come to realize that real estate is so much more than just real estate. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. But uh, with that long winded introduction, I'm going to introduce you to Stuart Scoville. And so I do have a I have a very deep bio here. We were just talking about. Uh, so I'm going to give you sort of the cliff notes version here. Uh, but I know Stuart really well. And I'm excited about this conversation. So Prior to combining companies with Jason Mittman to create only Epic Holdings, Stuart Scoville was the owner and president of Scoville Real Estate. Scoville Real Estate focused on construction development and asset management in residential and commercial real estate. Mr. Scoville, I'm gonna I'm gonna start calling you that, Mr. Scoville. Let's get very good. We need to get very formal. Yeah, formal. yeah, we need to get yes. more formal. I like that. Uh, he worked in real estate for over 18 years. It's almost 20 now. I mean, it it's, is, yeah, yeah, right. Getting getting, getting old. old yeah. All right. 
through various stages of development, construction, and asset management. This includes everything from entitlement, site development, and new or rehab construction. Most recently, Mr. Scoville acquired a 127-unit multifamily project valued at $5 million plus, and he's also managed and developed multiple property types with a focus on both commercial, multifamily, self-storage, with a value in excess of $250 million. He's also a real estate broker in Kentucky and Indiana, and prior to that, he was with a company called Bluegrass Capital, which is a boutique private equity firm, and they focus on purchasing distressed assets and mortgages uh, secured by commercial real estate. And I mean, really, I could go on and on. I mean, he's a CCIM. Uh, he was previously a CFO and vice president of a company called Renaissance Development, which is a large uh, regional developer based in Louisville, Kentucky. And, you know, I mean, he, he's, he's really run the gamut in terms of his experience. And so uh, I, the reason why I like to do that is because I like people to know that you know, we're not just talking to somebody who is, is fun to talk to. We're talking to somebody who's got some experience, somebody who's, you know, you've, you've, you've seen the highs and the lows. I mean, 20 years, you've seen a couple cycles now. Maybe we're going to see another one at some point. You never know. Um, but curious to know, I mean, beyond, beyond all the real estate stuff and just the experience, I mean, tell us more about uh, Stuart Scoville as a man beyond the bio. Sure. Well, I'm excited to be here today and, and to participate in this podcast. Uh, I think uh, important, I was born and raised in Louisville, so Louisville, Louisvillian from uh, the start, and um, always enjoyed sort of the big town, small town of, of Louisville, yeah. um, and uh, went to Denison University. Um, coming out of there, always had an interest, and in even through high school, interned at different stock brokerages throughout town, uh, J.C. Bradford, which is no longer in existence, and a couple others that have all gotten acquired. And coming out of, uh, of college, actually, I worked at a uh, small boutique um, investment banking firm here in town. Uh, really got tired of moving uh, paper from one side of the desk to the other and never really feeling like, what did we really get accomplished today? We were raising yep. funds for boutique banks, doing some M&A work. Just never had, you know, never enjoyed that that much of sitting and always uh, just sort of the, the shuffling of paper. Right. Uh, always enjoyed um, and always sort of thought about real estate. Um, so when I decided to, to leave that firm, that's when I joined a uh, Renaissance Development, regional development firm, and really started out at the ground level of doing project management. And that was helping getting, getting projects under uh, properties under contract, going through the zoning process, working with civil engineers, the and the site developers on getting the site developed and then working with the construction people on vertical construction. And then from there working with the sales and leasing people, depending on the project uh, to getting it sold or leased. Um, so really had really cut my teeth on a broad swath of, of different projects, which was a great, great experience. Um, started Scoville real estate in, I think it was 2005, 2006. And uh, started doing my own projects, um, mainly multi-unit uh, residential, either uh, for rent or condo conversion, new construction condos, things like that. And uh, then did a lot of consulting through the downturn with uh, Bluegrass Capital and really learned with them the institutional type model and mindset of groups. We'd work with um, multi-billion dollar funds in acquiring distressed debt secured by commercial real estate. 
And then we would go and work out that debt either by taking their asset back or working it out with the, the borrower, whichever it may be. Uh, and then as the cycle sort of turned from the OA cycle, um, have been out on my own, doing my own deals through school real estate. And then, as you mentioned, uh, recently in the last six months, recently joined and uh, joined companies with um, Jason Mittman. We started only Epic Holdings, which we have, uh, we've got multiple projects, probably um, about 20 different projects over about eight to 10 different states across the country. Acquiring another one in Texas, uh, have another project in, under uh, contract in Colorado right now. And all those are typically deals that are in one way or another value add or have hair on them. But when we look at a project, we look at it a little bit differently than some groups may. Um, we don't, we're not product type focused. We are, we ask ourselves some key questions before we even look at the financials. And that is, is it something that we'd be proud that the community knows we own? Is it something that we'd like to own in 20 years? Is it something that we'd be proud to take our family to? Uh, it's those type of questions that high level type things that not including anything with the financials of it, but we wanna be proud of, of the property and be able to hold it long-term. Uh, so that's how we look at different projects and both Jason and I have a, almost 50 years of experience and we, so we can work through a lot of different avenues and different uh, creative formulas to get a deal done that other people may not or may be worried about, but because of our experience, we can put together interesting deals. I love it. I mean, there's so much there. Um, just kind of going back to just a few of the things that you mentioned, um, kind of growing up or as you kind of began your professional life, you seemed like you were interested in finance, right? You were, mm -hmm. you were kind of working in the in stock brokerages and you felt like you're pushing paper to a certain degree, but then you found a way to apply that experience into real estate and were able to cut your teeth in different ways and kind of grew and expanded uh, to the point now where you're, you know, you're doing projects over multiple, you know, many different states, eight to 10 different states. And I love that. Um, the key questions that you mentioned there, um, these are really good. I mean, sometimes we talk about criteria so much people, well, my criteria is, you know, 15% IRR and it's value add and it's B and C class and A class locations or whatever, you know? Yep. And uh, I actually thought it was a good takeaway about, you know, the three key questions are, would I be proud to own this? Number one, would I be proud to own this in 20 years? And then also, would I be proud to bring my family here? So it's like the, the key component I thought was really, really good and a great takeaway. But I'd be curious to know, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, tactics and, and not necessarily tactics, but just in terms of your experience of real estate. But I'd be curious to know as a person, I mean, you, you and I, we talk about personal development all the time. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, we've talked about journaling, we've talked about, you know, meditation and just health and fitness and those kind of things. But, um, just not necessarily on those lines, but when, when was it that you became that type of person? Was it when you found out that it was such a competitive industry or like a challenge to succeed? Uh, or was it something before you were professional to where you're like, Hey, I'm not living this common life. I'm doing anything it takes to live a great life and live an uncommon life. Was there a moment or was it a process for you? Uh, I think it's always, um, 
I don't know about a moment, maybe a, a, a little bit of both, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, while I was actually, um, I've been a, previously was also a semi-professional cyclist. So in a very, uh, in a sport that you had to focus 100% of, you know, what are you eating? How much water, what, yeah. how much are you drinking? How much sleep are you getting? And that's, it's really a, full-time job and that was on top of working another full-time job at the same time so great experience on just being competitive and knowing of like hey you just sometimes got to mentally push through and get things done but i think you know from an elevate type of situation i i was never one you know there was times during college i might have like an internship at a bank and you see some people sitting there nothing wrong with you know it's all different people's mindset but and, you know, if I'm sitting there in a job and I know that no matter how hard or little I work, I'm going to make the same amount of money at the end of the year, that just drives me crazy. Or, oh, man, I'm going to get a bonus. I'm going to get a bonus of a couple thousand dollars. It's like, yeah. that seems crazy. You know, I'm much more of, and I don't know if it's a risk taker or how to mitigate risk to go, okay, well, some years you may make, you know, uh, you know, 25% of what you potentially, in other years, you make 200% of what you potentially could. Yeah. And it's that, you know, wanting to build something greater than just automatically knowing that, okay, I'm going to go into my job and, you know, just a grind it out, you know, over 30 years. Mm -hmm. So it's always been sort of, I guess, that entrepreneurial type spirit. Um, my parents own their own business and I grew up in that uh, industry, you know, and that mindset. And, so I think that's what I really take is like, I'm just not going to work that normal nine to five type job. And, uh, which as you and I probably both know, there's probably times you're like, man, that'd be pretty nice. Wouldn't have to deal with everything else I'm dealing with. Yeah. Um, but you and I have been on properties, you know, on noon on Saturday talking and, you know, spending a couple hours that other people may not, but trying to do it for the, to benefit ourselves even more. Are you someone who is looking to seriously elevate your life this year? I mean, now, this year, 2020, because I want to let you know that I am currently opening up a few coaching spots for people like you who want to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be. And I want to invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. I have to tell you, this is not for everyone. This is only for those who are defiantly committed, those who are decisive, those who are coachable, those who are resourceful. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to sacrifice time, energy, and invest resources into themselves to get to where they want to be, to live life at the highest level, and to elevate to a life without limits, exactly what we talked about on this show. If that is you, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. Yeah. Well, and I mean, this is actually, this is going to be a really useful conversation selfishly for me because I want to know, you know, sometimes when you think about like the ups and the downs of that type of life, you know, how do you stomach it at times, especially over the period of 20 years? I'm sure you had those years where it's like, man, this is 25% of what I could have made. Uh, and it's not necessarily all about money, but of course, you know, cash is king and cash flow is important, of course. So, I mean, how, how have you stomached that over the years? And I do have a couple other follow-up things I want to talk about about what you just said, too. Yeah, it's just, 
uh, I think it's looking at the long term um, and just yeah. continually taking moving forward. And yeah. uh, my partner and, and I'm definitely that same way of you know the whole Winston Churchill of never, never, never give up. Mm-hmm. And just keep pressing forward. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with one athletics. Oddly enough, of like I'm still while I'm not racing professionally, still very fit and work out at least five to six mornings a week. Um, and that thing of like just continually moving forward, continually trying to get better. Uh, and that really, I think, helps get through those times of like, okay, as long as I'm getting better. And if I don't look back in a year and say, man, I was an idiot a year ago, then I'm not improving. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. One other thing you said was um, that you were like, well, maybe I'm not necessarily a risk taker, but I'm a risk mitigator. What do you mean by that? Well, it's always, uh, I think with any, any real estate or any business ownership, you try to protect the downside risk. Yeah. Uh, if, if you invest uh, dollars or time or whatever it may be, but let's just say dollars and you never, if you never uh, lose, even if you have projects where you just make zero percent return, you're going to make an outstanding return over time. I mean, there's some projects that they don't go as planned. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Either 08 happens or the, something happens with the project, you never know. Yeah. But it is definitely, if you know that you can mitigate the downside risk and go, okay, what is if worst case scenario happens, what can we get back out of this? And what is the, then you look at the flip side and you go, okay, the worst case happens, we're going to lose, you know, say we're going to lose 10% of our capital. But if even the moderate case happens and we're going to make a hundred percent of our capital, yeah. it's like, okay, that's probably worth the risk. And then how yeah. do you sort of mitigate those risks? And again, it's being very creative and having, I think a good network of people who will, support you and you can just ask questions too. I mean, I think that's the key thing. And that's one group that um, both Jason and I are involved is, is the uh, Society of Exchange Counselors, the SEC, and then also the locally, uh, the Cree group, Kentucky Real Estate Exchangers. Um, And it's the knowledge base in those rooms is unbelievable that if I have a problem, I can go in there and get the best real estate minds in the country to come up with some creative solutions to probably solve, potentially solve the problem. Yeah. So it's that type of relationships and knowledge that is priceless. So, I mean, it sounds like, and this is one thing that I've adopted, um, I would say over the past couple of years is really kind of a probability mindset. Um, sometimes when I'm making decisions, I'm like, okay, well, of course we don't know what the outcomes are, but if this happens, what, you know, if I had to put a percentage on this potential outcome, it's the worst case scenario, what does that percentage look like? And then what is the real downside of that? Mm-hmm. And then what's the percentage of, you know, perhaps a, you know, a very likely uh, scenario. And can I live with that as well as what's the percentage chance of this great upside? You know, is, is it worth the risk of those other, you know, multiple outcomes? So I, I just thought that that was really useful. And also just knowing that you can fall back on a strong network that can also help you. It's like, hey, you know what? I've been depositing into other relationships. Now I know that, you know, these other people are going to support me because there's going to be times where other people need you to support them as well. So that's one of the best things I think about real estate is that it's such a community type of a 
endeavor. Yep. You know, you're not alone as long as you develop the right relationships. Yep. So yep. I love it. So tell me about, um, I want to fast forward a little bit um, to today. Obviously you formed Epic Holdings and you guys are doing great things. You're, you're, you're so creative and open to these possibilities. I love the questions that you mentioned earlier, um, but I'd be curious to know, What's an example of how you guys have raised the bar recently in your business? Uh, you know, something maybe that's a little bit out of the norm, if you had to say. Uh, one thing that we're heavily involved in as we sort of grow our business is the, the systems and processes, which is sort of the meat and potatoes. But what we found is uh, and what we're doing is with only ethicalities is we are uh, – we're creating many people, uh, you and I, I mean, we've owned real estate for a long time and many people may be, they either one are a real estate broker, they own some real estate on the side and they go buy it, they'll do their own due diligence, they may have a little bookkeeper who works part time, things like that. Or you have your other investors who may be a doctor, lawyer, do their, you know, again, sort of same commercial type properties. Yeah. We're really building what is a, an overarching company. Yeah, to because um, even a lot of people we know they they still sort of doing the same thing. Maybe they're a broker. Maybe they focus only on being a principal, but very few focus on hey, let's focus on the overall company. Let's make sure the overall company runs very efficiently, so we can put any type of deal into the system, and then we make sure that the simple mistakes aren't aren't made. And that's where the systems and processes are such so key. And that's where Jason and I were trying to really build something greater than ourselves. And if we think about it that, you know, if our time is worth, you know, $500 an hour, should we be sitting there making a run to the post office to go look at the box? No, we should set up a process that who's going to go and do that. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Yep. Um, and how much do we pay somebody to do that? In? And then it's all those different things of like, what can we do to, take things off our plate and where is sort of our A, B, and C time. Mm -hmm. And while everybody, no matter what type of business you're running, you're still, you're always going to have to do sort of that B, C, and D time. You're going to have to do some of those. You're always going to have yep. to check email. You're, but how much of that can you take off your plate? Have somebody else sort your email and then you just answer the key ones. Uh, and cause it's really, you know, if you spend your A time and I mean, I've, I've heard numbers of like, you know, spending only five to 10% in your A time really generates like 80% of your revenue. Yeah. So you got to get rid of all that other stuff, but it's creating the business and making sure that you bring good yep. people on board, create good systems and processes to move forward so that, you know, things aren't getting missed that wouldn't be normally missed throughout the process. So tell me more, a little bit more about, I guess, you in particular. What would you consider A time, B time, and C time? And how are you handling that on a consistent basis now? You know, I would think A time is definitely focused strictly on both deals, talking with, uh, you know, brokers, other people on deals specifically, and then, you know, talking with um, either potential investors, current investors, um, building relationships. I think that is yeah. the key for both Jason and I. And that's where uh, it's, it, that is, that's really our biggest because if we're not out there looking for new deals, working on our current deals, 
you know, managing the whole thing, then we're not growing. Yeah. Yeah. So anytime is, is relationships, which I totally yeah. agree. I mean, it's so interesting because you look at real estate from the outside and you say, well, it's, it's this, you know, it's bricks and mortar, it's bricks and sticks, yeah. come on, you know, but it, it really is the people behind it. And that's one thing that you and I have connected on over the years is that really to make a deal happen, it's about what are the people need out of that, right? Because real estate's a vehicle for outcomes. Yeah. And so a time for you is speaking with folks on deals, whether it's brokers, owners, investors who are looking to be involved, who are looking for more opportunities, building those relationships. So B time would necessarily be to get you in, in position to build a relationship or am I making an assumption there? No, that is, I mean, and that's, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, one of the things with our partnership is it's definitely a one plus one equals five. And that's what's key. Even last night, we were going back and forth on a particular deal. I'm like, you know, we had one of us had an idea, then the other one had an idea that built on top of that that would have never come to fruition if we hadn't been talking and been yeah. together. And yeah. it's those type of things that I think are great. Now, then, you know, from the B and C time, part of it is, you know, running the business. Yeah. Things that have to be done of, you know, what um, setting up, you know, payroll for people, bringing on yeah. new people, doing interviews, things like that. Things that are just because there's the working on the business and working in the business. Yes. Two different things. And it's a balancing act, especially as you continue to grow and continue to put systems and processes in place. Yeah. I mean, you don't have the opportunity of really like optimizing your A time if you haven't spent time in the B and C categories of building your business, working on your business, the infrastructure. If the infrastructure is not there, it doesn't matter how many relationships you have. If you can't, you know, solidify or actually like capitalize on an opportunity and help someone else, you know, yeah. you can't really help someone else if you're not there as well. So uh, the theme so far has been kind of building that infrastructure. So uh, I really appreciate that. So I want to do a little bit of a transition here. Talk about Mr. Scoville here. As I mentioned, the, uh, the illustrious steward, oh, yeah. Mr. Scoville. Uh, I want to know what are you getting better at saying no to? Because, you know, what we talked about a little bit, I mean, you're, you're not going to the PO box, right? You're, you're, you're sending yeah. somebody else to the PO box. You're doing some, some innovative ideas, which I, I love the thought of having potentially someone else sort your emails for you and say, Hey, look, these are the ones you need to spend your time on. Cause if you're not careful an email will take up your entire week. I mean, it'll take up yeah. all of your time. So, uh, and I, I just wanted to highlight that, but what are you getting better at saying no to and, and how, how are you doing that? Well, I think one thing is at least no to uh, probably, if anything, smaller deals. Okay. Um, and deals that you know that really you start to learn the longer you're in business that, uh, as you're well aware, it takes just as much time to, if not more, to deal with if you buy a little fourplex as if you buy a 100-unit apartment complex. And probably it takes more time because it's actually more efficient on the hundred units. Right. So it's saying no to those type of things. It's also, um, you know, we always have a problem of um, because we're sort of entrepreneurs, we think we can solve all the problems. You know, we have sort of that shiny syndrome 100%. and knowing that we go, you know, we look, might look at something and go, wow, we really need to do that. We need really, it's like, sometimes we look at each other and I'm like, we're crazy. Yeah. This is the, so it's those type of things to know, step back and go, no, we don't, we do not need to do that deal. We need to step back and focus on what we know best. Mm -hmm. Just 
it's not easy. I mean, I know for sure it's like, well, come on, that's an opportunity. I mean, we could either, you either make some money or, you know, it, it seems easy. It's like, well, yeah. fruit, but, but the opportunity cost is something that I know I have to always continually remind myself of. Yeah. Um, and it is really interesting that you say that because I, I, I've talked about this a lot and I've had other people ask me, well, you know, should I just go big, you know, should I just go big off the bat? Because, you know, like you said, I think there's a lot of validity to the fact that a larger deal, you spend as much or perhaps at sometimes even less time on a more professionally managed type of an opportunity, whether it's multifamily or many other asset classes. I do think there's value in learning smaller. I don't know if you would agree on that. I would definitely agree. Yeah. yeah I mean, you got to learn and I mean, so many people yeah. just build their way up and, and I mean, there's, something to be said for that because if you're the one managing that fourplex you yeah. understand what the manager is going through yes. you understand the intimate details and you're learning about real estate you're learning yeah. how a hot water heater works how an hvac system works yeah. you're learning about the physical real estate so then when you walk into you know a hundred thousand square foot yeah. commercial building it's that you know the questions to ask yeah that's the key thing because i think when you're early on like that it's um it's you don't know what you don't know and you might get a little too detached from some of the details that are extremely important when they add up, especially on a larger deal. That's when you can start to get in trouble. Yeah. Um, tremendously. So uh, that's really, really good. So tell me about um, habits. I mean, what, what's a couple habits, one or two that you would say are really important for you to set you up for success? Well, as I mentioned, definitely fitness, huge, yep. important. Um, it's amazing that if I don't work out, for a couple of days, I'm, yep. no matter what I'm doing, I'm just sort of get very grumpy. Same. Got to always, so got to always be working out. Um, yep. Always try to drink a bunch of water. That's, you know, a constant. Uh, try to uh, journal every morning, you know, really talk about what I'm grateful for. Uh, some things, you know, some overall goals that I'm looking to accomplish. Uh, and then I think one thing is the, um, really trying to use my time wisely as we've sort of discussed, but more the morning time, more than anything. And everybody's different, but generally the morning in terms of, you know, anytime before lunch of really focusing on what I want to get done, mm -hmm. making sure I get that done. Um, and a lot of times it may not be the hardest thing, but it's, you know, thinking about, Hey, what's that one thing that I want to get done today and get that done first thing in the morning, work through it, get it done and then move on with the day. So you would say that there's always like one thing, this is a must accomplish today. That's correct. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because one thing I, I've failed on myself on this is, um, all right, I have my one thing, or maybe I have three tasks, or maybe it's five tasks. I've noticed that, you know, at times I'm like, there, some of the things are out of my control. It's like, get this deal under contract. It's like, well, I could just make the call and have the conversation. That's more so in my control. The other party may not agree, you know, or whatever it may be. Negotiate, you know, the deal. Negotiate the terms of the deal. Is that, do you try to remove things that are out of your control when it comes to the one big thing that you want to accomplish in your day, or how do you work with that? You know, that it's a great question. Sometimes, you know, because I've been in deals where it seems like it's just at a roadblock. Yeah. Uh, and just like, well, what is, what is the next physical thing that I can do? And that's, think you've got to take a step back and that's where I think network and different things, your yeah. relationships come into play where you can go talk to people and go, Hey, what should I do here? Here's the situation. Yeah. What's my next step? Yeah, yeah. What should I, what could I potentially do? Who yeah. else could I call? 
how could I approach this? Yes. Um, I mean, it's definitely a, instead of, you know, if you're trying to get a property under contract, uh, instead of just going directly maybe to the broker, maybe you, and maybe it's not going, you present it to a different way in the broker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's maybe how you present it, things like that. Right. Um, and maybe that's, you know, if anything, if that one thing is, hey, I want to get this property under contract, it's maybe the time spent brainstorming, okay, what could I do? And literally, yeah. I'm one that when I'm uh, brainstorm, I literally try to write it down or type it out. And it can be, you know, the craziest ass things you can think of, yeah, yeah. but really do that. And then it just gets it out of your head. And then it's amazing the things that sort of keep coming Yes. instead of, I mean, at least for myself, if I'm brainstorming, but I try to keep it in my head, I just keep going through the same two to three items over and over again. Instead of when I put it down on paper, then okay, those two or three items are out now. What are the next two or three? Yeah. And what else can you come up to that then you go, oh, well, maybe that works. Maybe mm -hmm. I can combine these two. Um, so maybe your one task for the day is to brainstorm a solution for whatever problem it is yeah. you're facing. Yeah. Or to call that, you know, make two or three calls on, hey, I've got a question. You know, yeah. that's one thing that took me a while when I was getting started in the businesses is having the humility to ask questions you know because yeah. I didn't want people to know that I didn't know the answer or something I don't know if you ever face that but I think there's a lot of it's so interesting because as you grow you ask questions it's like oh everyone wants to help you for the most part yeah um, I mean obviously there's a competitive nature in our business but for the most part there's camaraderie there's so much to go around um, so I just I thought that was a really good takeaway um, so I'd love to know um, you know being somebody who invests in yourself uh, on a consistent basis whether it's you know, focusing on your one outcome for the day or, you know, investing in time journaling, talking about, you know, writing your, what you're, what you're grateful for, what your goals are, what you're looking to accomplish on a daily basis. What other ways do you invest in yourself? I mean, is there a specific example of something that you would point to over the past year or so that's been really useful for you? Uh, one, love to uh, big reader slash audiobook um, listener. Uh, and podcasts um, love to generally read about other you know very successful people from all walks of life. Uh, a um, you know like recently read or listened to um, Four Rivals, which is about Lincoln. Fantastic book, just a fantastic book. And um, you know, growing up, <clears throat> growing up, you know that. Um, you know, everybody talks about Lincoln, but you, you listen to this book and, you know, he was really one of the first ones to sort of take his rivals and bring them into his cabinet. Now it's commonplace. You know, it's not everybody sort of goes, oh, he was my, you know, that's a lot of why many people run for president because they know, okay, oh, well now I'll maybe get a cabinet position or something like that. So he was really the first one to do that, bring those people in, work with them. Uh, you know, he always, which I probably do quite a bit, is the number of letters he wrote, very upset, very pissed off, and then <laughs> sealed them up, stuck them in his drawer, and never sent. Yep. And it wasn't until years later that part of his staff uncovered these, and it was just, like, amazing. And it's like... Thank God he did send those. Exactly, yep. yeah. And it's, I think it's the exact same way with, with like, emails, definitely, especially in today's yep. technology of it, especially for like myself if it's late in the day you're tired yeah. maybe getting a little hungry yeah 
is maybe type out that email, but just don't send it. Wait, you know, it doesn't matter if you send it at five o'clock or if you send it at eight in the morning. Yeah. That's amazing. When you see that with a fresh set of eyes, you're going to go like, oh, I'm glad I didn't send this. Yeah. So it's those type of things. But um, back to your question, you know, it's about, I always love to uh, read about, uh, listen to things about people and, you know, podcasts that are, how are people always getting better? What are people doing? Yeah. What are little things, you know, currently reading a book about John Wood. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So really, um, it's, it's constantly about learning, learning as a whole, uh, constantly getting better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love, uh, love the whole concept. I mean, the more that I learn, the more I want to know. You know, it's like I'm yep. so thirsty for knowledge and my curiosity. It's like the most fun thing that I've experienced in my entire life, to be honest with you. I didn't know that I had such a desire to learn, you know, because as a child, I felt like it was like, okay, memorize this, you know, do this. And it's like, I didn't really understand it. But now when I learn stuff that I can apply and it's like, wow, I don't actually have to, you know, be pissed off about this email. I can just take a deep breath and maybe like write some of my own thoughts yeah. and like not send it and then not like have this huge like issue where I've just ruined a relationship or whatever it may be. It's like something from 250 years ago or whenever it was 200 years ago. Yeah. But yeah, I'm showing my, <laughs> showing my ignorance here on a, actually, let me show you something. So I'm not that ignorant for my YouTube folks. I got my Lincoln biography here. There right, you go. Yep. So just, I had to, had to do that. Uh, but yeah, clearly I need, I got, I got more to learn here. Um, but, but to your point, it, it is all about how can you learn how to get better, which is really the reason for the show. I mean, it's, it's like, we're masterminding here. Like we're, I'm learning something. Hopefully you, maybe you probably haven't learned anything, but you already have uh, everything to learn, uh, in there, you know? Um, but, but it is all about, you know, what is it that you can find and apply immediately? That's why I always say in this show, it's like, take what you learn and apply it immediately. Take action on what you learn. People ask me all the time. I love to read as well. It's like, they're like, how do you remember this stuff? It's like, I, I don't, it just seeps into my subconscious and I just do it. It's like, wow. When I read Ben Franklin's biography, I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this guy is a genius. I'm yeah. like, I want to be him, you know? So I'm just going to act it out, you know? Yeah. And I'm nowhere close, but it's just so much fun. So I really appreciate that. Uh, well, also, it's amazing. Little things like Ben Franklin's biography. Yeah. We both read that is, you know, he, had multiple business deals, never had a business deal go bad just because at the beginning he had a, a written agreement with everybody on exactly here are the terms of, and it was all clear. It wasn't something, oh, on a handshake, it was all just very clearly written out. So then everybody knew where it was. Yeah. Sort of basic stuff today, but sometimes we'll go, oh, well, let's just get in, you know, let's just do this deal. And people don't write it out just to know uh, what is the, you know, what is the true agreement? Yeah. Because everybody, you know, a few years down the line, everybody goes, oh, I remember does this. I'm already, no, no. Absolutely. You know, it's sort of that basic stuff that, uh, and that's where, you know, same thing like with Lincoln. It's, you know, you wouldn't think, oh, well, what were you going to get out of reading a book on Ben Franklin or Lincoln? Yeah. It applies. There's a lot of innovative thought that you can take from this. And it, a lot of practical thought, too. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, when I think about Ben Franklin, one of the things I thought about was like, you know, he started the printing press, right? It's like, which is insane to think about. But he, he had this printing press business that was providing him cash flow. So then he could go out and invent things. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, founding nation, you know, it's like unbelievable. And be a diplomat, a global diplomat, be a scientist, you know, all these different crazy things. But it, it, it inspires you to think, well, like, 
is real estate our modern day printing press, you know, for what we're doing. I mean, like it, we can provide opportunities for people. It can take us where we want to go. Um, and it can also give us the opportunity to go learn more about what these other people have done, you know? And also I wanted to highlight too on the agreement piece that you just talked about. One of my first lessons in real estate was that there's no such thing as a handshake agreement. I mean, none. So no matter how much you really care about somebody, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it is business. So it's a good reminder for all of us, whatever you're doing, get it in writing. Yep. So, no question. Uh, talk to me about a failure. Um, I know that you normally, you, you step up to the plate and you're hitting home runs. Uh, every time. The, yeah. Every time. Yeah. yeah I, if anybody believes that, they, yeah. Right. <laughs> So, I mean, obviously to get where you are now and you continue to climb, you failed, right? So tell me about, you know, one or two times that have been something that maybe at the time felt devastating, but then, you know, has, you know, maybe looking back and perhaps, perhaps looking back, it still is devastating. I don't know. Tell me about a couple of failures that you've experienced. Yeah. I mean, definitely the, probably the key ones are somewhat, uh, through the downturn, Yeah, you know, through 08 and where before that money was cheap and you could put any deal together definitely some deals that were over leveraged over more within than what they should have been so yep. the risk was too high but you know everybody thinks uh it's sort of the the go-go times and we're yeah. it's never coming down yeah. and you know so but learn from that and taking that to heart right now where uh you know i believe in the next year maybe less you know there's going to be some type of downturn is it going to be 08? Who knows? Um, but it's learning from that and knowing that, okay, let's go into it. Any deal we go into, make sure we've got hefty reserves, make sure we don't over leverage, make sure we can withstand anything that's coming down the pipe. And it's those type of things that you look at, um, you know, and I've talked to, I hate to say it, some younger people that haven't weren't, you know, they started after 08 and go, oh, it's, all, it's always like this. It always goes right. up. It's like, yeah, go on and do that deal. Yeah. Um, I mean, a great example is Jason and I, we recently bid on a uh, three building office portfolio in Indy. Uh, we got to the best and final round and uh, we bid 12.2. Um, uh, the winner ended up bidding 13. We don't wow. know how it underwrites. I mean, it's one thing, you know, what kind of cap rate is that? Oh, on in place was ridiculously low. I mean, because it was only 50% occupied. Wow. So it was a very low cap rate. Um, and, uh, but it's those type of things that like, Hey, more power to you. you know, yeah. One phrase I always say is, you know, uh, deals are like buses, wait 30 minutes and another one will come by. It's good. Love so that. Much rather lose a deal than buy a bad one. Yeah. So you, just a couple of things I wanted to highlight there just, you know, cause I I'm with you, you know, I have not been around for 20 years myself. So I'm always, I want to know the nuggets of wisdom from folks who've gone through, especially the 08 time. You know, it's like, I want to know, you know, how can we prepare and how can we just be smart about what we're doing and not think, you know, like the last 10 years have been like anybody could do, a lot of people could just do real estate because, you know, it, it makes everyone look smart, you know? So I, I would be curious if there was just one word of wisdom or one phrase of wisdom or something that you would say just with regard to reserves and over leveraging. I know it's a deal by deal basis, but what would you say um, is a rule of thumb that you would look at and say, look, for in, any sort of deal, this is the type of reserves that I would want to have in place. I know you mentioned hefty, but is there anything more specific you'd say? You know, 
I, I think it more goes back to sort of that basic, uh, you make your money on the buy. Yeah. And right now there's definitely a lot of asset classes that are very hot and over to be getting, um, over leveraged. Yeah. Um, and very high on, on low on cap rate, high on purchase price. Yeah. That, you know, I look back and go, well, what is the historical value of this property? Is the historical value going to be an eight cap and people are trying to buy for six and a half? Now you can always say, well, is the new normal six and a half? Maybe, but you got to look at where are we on interest rates? What's yeah. that spread? And that's what mo most people are going to look at. Um, and so I look at things on, you really make your money on the buy. Mm -hmm. That's great. I love the historical value on properties because people do get such tunnel vision. You know, it's like what ha what just happened is what's going to happen again. And, you know, I, I think having that broader perspective and then going back to the questions you mentioned earlier about, you know, would I be proud to own this? Would I own it in 20 years? Would I be proud of that? Would I be proud to take my family there? And then also thinking of, you know, in relation to where interest rates have been, where they're likely to go again. I mean, we just never know. I mean, it's such a complicated, I read this book called 21, uh, what was it, 21 Rules for the 21st Century by Yuval Noah Harari. And my biggest takeaway, I love that guy. He's so such yeah. a genius. I always learn so much. But one of my biggest takeaways from that book was it's such a complicated world. Not even the U.S. government knows what's going to happen next. Not even China knows what's going to happen next. And especially us as investors, I mean, we have to operate in this complex world. But if you can look and say, well, here's all the different probabilities. Here's what's happened before. You know what? Here's the cycles from a big perspective. It, it, what goes up must come down and all these different things. And it's all hyper focused, you know, each different property type, each different sub market is in a different cycle as well. So, um, I don't know. I think all those things are really important to, to remember. Uh, so talk to me about goals. I'd love to know, um, what's a goal that you're, that you're striving for now. I know you guys have recently formed the partnership and you're doing a lot of big things in terms of systems and processes, but what's a big outcome that you're seeking right now? You know, we're one, always just trying to get better in our systems and processes. Um, but, you know, we're looking over the next uh, year or so, we're, we've already got actually closing the property tomorrow, closing um, another one in Colorado in the first quarter. And we expect that we will, over probably 2020, close anywhere, you know, another four to six deals, something like that, all in the generally probably, you know, five to $20 million range. Um, so, and then just look to continually, and, and it's less about the dollar amount, and it's more about finding good deals, finding good properties, but also making sure that um, th those systems and processes are in place. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I mean, the key thing that uh, Jason and I have together also is we love to go out and have fun. You know, both of us are athletic. He was a professional mountain biker. Um, and anytime we're together, we typically go out and do some trail runs someplace. We go out, we recently, um, skied in Colorado. You know, we, it was just one or half a day while we were doing due diligence on property. But, but even that is, you know, we had, um, some of our investors with us. So again, it's just sort of building that relationship. It's getting out, you know, it's much easier to build that relationship when you're doing things like that and going out to yeah. dinner than just sitting behind a, or sitting at a conference table. I think it's a good reminder to have fun too because yeah. I mean I, I don't know about you but there's times where it's like come on I don't have time for that I need to I need to be in the office I got you know I need to set up this call I need to call this guy back or 
I need to be focusing on my one outcome for today when really like what we came back to in the beginning was relationships, right? If you can build a relationship on the side of a mountain and have a blast while you're doing it, then do that, right? Well, that's, that's key. And I think it's, it's all about, I guess, from a growth standpoint is uh, the sort of, you know, I see myself, you know, getting more to that mini retirement type of phase mm-hmm. of being getting all again, so I go back to those systems and processes where everything's in place, you know, you know, on the back end, you feel comfortable. So then being able to go, Hey, I want to go and live in a different country for three months and I can work remotely the whole time. I mean, I've talked to Jason wise on the side of a mountain in the Alps and you know, we keep moving forward. Yeah. And that's all, that's what the key is. So, uh, it's all about both that, um, work-life balance, but you know, I always uh, enjoy real estate, love what I'm doing. Yeah. So never really feel like I work a day in my life, but obviously there's a whole lot of other things I'd like to do that are, you know, outside of just real estate. So when it comes to the, the mini retirements, we've talked about this a lot, which is yeah. really inspiring. I mean, I think it's something that we all have to remember. It's like there's so many potentials like out there. You can do anything you want if you really allow yourself to believe that it's, you know, available to you, right? Right. So is there, do you have any role models in this in terms of life by design? This is something a lot of people talk about. It's like, you know, Tim Ferriss's of the world and, and such. I mean, is there anybody that you would say, you know what, they really kind of turned me on to this way of thinking or uh, has there been anything like that or? You know, obviously, um, I think Tim Ferriss brought it up to the world and, yeah. you know, mid 08, mid whatever, 05 to yeah. 10, whatever it was. Um, I think that's a, a big one, but I've known people that, I mean, I knew a guy that um, was a real estate broker here and he took his family around the country for a year and a, or he lived in actually around the world three different months at a time, took his kids out of school and homeschooled them and, lived here, lived in Australia, lived someplace, you know, lived in Hawaii for three months and just went around, you know? Um, so you can definitely do it. And I never see myself as one that is just going to retire. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like doing, being involved and doing the deals. Yeah. Uh, I think retirement is a boring word. I mean, to me, it's like, I I remember like, I don't know about you, but these financial advisors will pitch me like, Hey, well, when do you want to retire? And I'm like, I want to be financially free and abundant and be able to right. make choices and then still be able to have fun. I love my business. I love doing that. But I also, it's like, for me, I, I just think about rotting on a beach and it's like, I don't want that, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, there's only uh, so many rounds of golf you can play and things like that. So yeah. I'd much rather continually be involved in the deal. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's always goes back to that, the lottery question. So you win the lottery, yeah. what do you do? Yeah, everybody says, oh, I'm going to travel. I'm going to, you know, for a couple of years, do this, do that. And then what do you do? Well, yeah. if I think about that for myself, I would go, well, I'd probably, you know, start driving around, maybe look at an old building or old house. Yeah. Maybe I can buy that and rehab. And it's like, right. well, hell, that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So why, why stop what I'm doing? You know, yeah. it's just making sure you, you have those good processes in place and you can trust what's going on that you yeah. make sure, oh, you're, insurance isn't going to get canceled on something. Right. Why do you think most people don't think about this? Why do most people, is it because they were never programmed to think this way and they think that they have to get to 65 and then ride off into the sunset with their 401k? Or I mean, do you have any theories on this? It's a great question. I mean, I think for probably, especially baby boomers, which there's, you know, however many 
you know, turning 65 every day. Yeah. Uh, that that was just programmed that, you know, you need to, it, their generation definitely did not work in one job as much as other generations, you know, so they weren't automatically the 40 year type employee. But I think that was sort of the, the mindset of, uh, you know, just going to 65 and retire. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just been recently where people, and I don't know if it's my generation, you're probably a slightly different generation yeah. or the um, millennials that are like, Hey, we, we want a much bigger work-life balance. And I think probably even that started in, in my generation that um, they, you know, people are like, well, I, I want to make sure I can do, go out and do things and do things that are fun than just automatically working hundred hours a week. Yeah. Doesn't work. I just think it's really interesting because still, even with like the podcasts, like books, so much information out there that like anything is possible. Still, there's so many people just filing in line and not willing to face their fears and get beyond a little bit of uncertainty and a little bit of that, perhaps some up and down of saying, Hey, look, this year I may only, you know, make 25% of what my potential was. Um, They're not willing to go beyond that. I'm just always curious about that. I mean, What's been the process or what do you think is the process for you or what you would suggest for someone else if they wanted to create their life? Is it to, all right, first step is to think as big as possible, put it on paper, look at it every day and go after it. Or is there some, is there another process that you would suggest? Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely, you know, the, uh, I've heard people say, well, in five or 10 years, write down a day in your life in like five or 10 years and be as specific as possible. Where are you waking up? What are you doing when you wake up? You know, um, do you have a family around you when you do that? Uh, Make everything as very specific as possible, as grandiose as it may be, whatever that looks like. And it's amazing the number of times I've heard that that sort of just automatically, even if you put it in a drawer and pick it up in five years, that that actually becomes reality. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think it's somewhat, I mean, each individual, each individual has their own different risk mentality. Yeah. And so, as I mentioned, you know, that banker who just going to sit there and make what they make, that's maybe the mentality. That's yeah. fine. But are they, you know, uh, that's, I think just a different mindset, if mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. And I mean, our, our audience here is really trying to live life at the highest level. I mean, that's our, that's everyone's goal here. And that's why we talk about elevate because, you know, it's about taking that next step to the next level. And it's like climbing that mountain. We're talking about skiing down the mountain. We're talking about having phone calls inside of the Alps. I mean, we want to scale those mountains and we want to look for the next one. Just as an example, I mean, I I was just uh, on a trip this weekend. I literally just got back last night and it was great to get away for a few days and have some fun. Um, but then at, as you know, the plane was landing, I'm like, I'm excited to get back. I'm excited yeah. to get back and grow and become more. That's an adventure in itself. You know? Oh yeah. So, um, I'd be curious to know what's the driving force behind what you do overall. If you had to sum it all up, what's the driving force? It's a tough question. I know. It's a great question. Yeah. You know, I think it's, um, some of it's, uh, definitely to be grateful for what I have grateful for family, partner, abilities, um, and being able to continue to grow. Um, and really looking forward to the future and what may come and just taking it day by day. 
Love it. So it is all about that growth. I mean, it's about becoming more like one thing I learned from Tony Robbins is like, you know, everybody's got different human needs, right? And they could be in these six core human needs, but if you can learn what yours is, if it's growth and it's about helping other people grow, I mean, that's when you're really going to start to feel that satisfaction, that fulfillment, that, that, that shiny word of fulfillment. So from here, I want to uh, transition into our rapid fire section. Okay. It's called our rare air questionnaire. You're climbing Mount Everest and most people gave up. They're like, look, I'd rather just sit at the bank. I'm good. Like, and that's fine. Like we've said, I mean, yeah. we're not saying these are bad people, but <laughs> what we are saying is that to live the life at the highest level, there's certain things that you've got to do. There's certain mindset you've got to embody. And so we've talked about some books and you've talked about your love for books, podcasts, audiobooks. I'd love to know what is, if you had to say, what's the most impactful book you've ever read and why? Oh, I don't know about most impactful. That'd be a great question. Um, yep. So, I mean, I think a couple at least that definitely relate to business. Uh, one is uh, Never Split the Difference. Love that book. By Voss. Forget his first name. Chris. Chris. Um, that is a fantastic way to, to think about uh, deals and how to negotiate stuff. And I've actually just recently gone back and on a particular deal, part of a deal I was negotiating, you know, like, how, how would I, how should I even just phrase this? Yeah. Um, I think that's a fantastic one. I think another one is um, Checklist Manifesto. Mm -hmm. Fantastic book of how much, and that gets sort of into the, the systems and processes of, how much can you just not don't make a mistake twice? Yeah. Um, and it, it's sort of a, in some respects, a scary book because um, you look how they, you know, how pilots do it and how errors could occur prior to different checklists coming on, on board. But, uh, um, and then I think another one that uh, is profit first, great book on um, how to, really set up a business from the financial aspect and very simplistic let's put it that way okay well we will put links to all three of these in the show notes i have read never split the difference absolutely fantastic book i have not yet read the other two but i have one of those on my bookshelf i know it's a recommendation from you so I need to get on it now. Yep. So thanks for the reminder on that. So uh, I'd love to know, you know, we've talked about so many different ways, but if you had to expand upon this thought, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis outside of maybe some of the other things we've already talked about? We talked about journaling. We yep. talked about brainstorming, focusing on your one big task for the day. I think a lot of it is uh, definitely goal setting. Yep. You know, goal setting on a trying to break it down on a weekly, quarterly, yep. annual basis. And then uh, with that, it's easier on that one task a day to know, okay, this is what the task I should be working on. Yeah. Chunking it down. Right? Yep. Thinking big and then chunking it down. That's exactly what it. can I do right now? Yep. I, I always go back to the whole win acronym, W-I-N. What yep. am I doing now? That's how yep. you win. Love that. Yep. Uh, what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? I think trying to, again, sort of impart wisdom. Now that I've been around for 20 years, uh, yep. I always try to, especially if people ask me, you know, hey, can you go out for coffee? Yeah, sure. Be happy to uh, – even though it may just be taking half an hour, an hour, parting any type of wisdom that I can 
happy to do that and trying to give back to give other people to grow. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you would embark upon Elevate Nation today? You know, I think the key thing is um, uh, continue to grow, continue to learn. I think that's the the biggest part of, of life. And if you don't continue to get better, you know, then uh, where are you going to end up? So I think it's always, always learning, always growing. And as I mentioned, you know, you always want to look back in a year and go, man, I was an idiot back then. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So, well, hopefully we look back on this in a year and cringe. I hope so. Exactly. <laughs> uh, always learn, always grow. And uh, this has been a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate you sitting down with us today. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Absolutely. So um, if the, if Elevate Nation wants to stay in contact with you, how can they do that? Uh, the best way is our website, um, and that is onlyepic.com. Perfect. Yeah. So we'll put, uh, we'll put a link there in our show notes to the website, and uh, definitely want to thank Stuart again, Mr. Scoville, for being on the show. Yes. And uh, I also want to remind Elevate Nation, uh, you know, definitely go to the website, obviously, take a look at what they're doing, um, you know, learn about how you can become involved with Only Epic Holdings, as well as Stuart and his partners there. Uh, but also, you know, you've got to really re-listen to the show. I mean, because like sometimes, I, like you were talking about Never Split the Difference earlier. I'm like, I need to reread the book because I've told other people that book is worth millions of dollars, but it's only worth millions of dollars if you go in and you take the appropriate information and apply it, right? Right. Um, and, and I've noticed every time I reread a book or I list, re-listen to a podcast, I'm like, wow, I don't even think I've heard this before. So I always tell people to listen to the show again, take notes, but then take massive action. Uh, share it with a friend. I mean, share it with somebody who you know wants to really live that life by design. They think retirement's kind of a boring word and, and uh, they want to always grow and they want to help other people. So uh, until next time, thank you for everybody for tuning in. And Stuart, appreciate you being here. Same. Thanks. Thanks, Tyler. It was great. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit tylerchesser.com.